I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Harley Rothbart. He His new book is No Regrets Living, Seven Keys to a Life of Wonder and Contentment. In no... Many people reach the end of their lives wishing they could change the past. Turning back the clock is impossible. But Dr. Harley Rothbart offers sage guidance to help us appreciate what we have in our lives and take greater pride in what we've done with our lives without spending precious time and energy wishing things had turned out differently. Woven into his timeless message are especially timely observations on the COVID-19 pandemic. From his expert perspective as an infectious disease physician, including coping mechanisms and paths for going forward as individuals and as a society. He's the professor He's a, He's the professor and vice chair emeritus of pediatrics at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and the author of more than 175 medical and scientific publications, which are including five previous books for general audiences. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Dr. Rothbart. Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate your having me on the show. Well, as we said in the beginning, or we, actually we said it before we were on air, uh, title of the book, No Regrets Living, COVID-19 has given us that opportunity to think about no regrets living, what are we doing, and how, what are we, how do we go forward? So um, I guess the first question, when did you start writing this book? I mean, this was before COVID, I'm assuming. It was before COVID, and then when the pandemic began, the publishers asked me if I could incorporate into the what we hope is a timeless message of the book for living our lives, some timely advice for uh, lessons that we should learn from the pandemic and how to move forward from the pandemic as individuals and as a society. And so within the book, there are offset um, shaded portions that interject COVID-19 pandemic-related guidance, advice, reflections uh, as part of the overall picture of uh, the No Regrets Living uh, philosophy. Yeah, and the second, the, the sort of the subtext, that seven keys to a life of wonderment and contentment. Those are pretty strong words. I mean, do most of us think that or feel necessarily that we have or can live a life of wonder and contentment wonders that's a big word i, I mean i've so let, let's talk about our expectations for uh, no regrets living well i i think that's really what the motivation was for for writing this book and that is that i don't think that most of us appreciate um the opportunities that life gives us to um to experience wonder and to experience contentment. And the idea behind No Regrets Living is that um, we, have to, we have to focus on the miracles, and, and I don't use that word lightly, the miracles that are all around us. Albert Einstein, no less, no less an authority than Albert Einstein, said that there are only two ways to live your life, and there are people who don't believe in miracles and people who see miracles everywhere. And I'm one of the latter. I, I think that every morning that we wake up and every night that we go to sleep, it's important to reflect on the miracles of that day. Um, and there are miracles every day around our life. And I don't mean this as a holy roller you know, I've, I, I, I've heard the voice of God, which I have not. 
um, type of miracle. I mean miracles appreciating um, the presence of, of um, uh, this, our surroundings, the presence of the, there's a there's a, a, a beautiful tome written about uh, miracles of nature, and, and in it, uh, you learn some of the things that none of us notice um, around us. Uh, a hummingbird, for example, the simplest, most beautiful little hummingbird, um, flaps its wings 80 times a second, 80 times a second to stay afloat. Um, it can fly at 35 miles an hour, can dive at 50 miles an hour, and it's just a little hummingbird. Th- that is miraculous to me. It's as miraculous as the splitting of the Red Sea, if one believes that the Red Sea split. It's as miraculous as the, as the, as the recovery from you know, the, the uh, ten plagues in Egypt, if one believes this is Passover time, if one believes uh, in the recovery from the ten plagues. The miracles around us are substantial, and I think an appreciation for that leads us to wonder and to contentment. Yeah, so really the miraculousness, as you say, is, is, is that wonder and being able to appreciate it. Why don't, you're a physician, you see sick people, so pediatrician, you see sick kids all the time, and you know we're talking about COVID. Why does it, it seems like we need some kind of a crisis before we're able to maybe be able to open up our eyes and see these miracles. Well, you, you know, people you talk about, well, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and now I really appreciate every day when I wake up in the morning or now I had COVID-19 or whatever the crisis happens to be, we have to somehow have some kind of a crisis before we stop and, and, and appreciate the miracles. Why do you think that is? I mean, you've had, obviously you have experience with that every day being a, infectious disease uh, physician. Right. I, I've, I've really um, had the, the privilege, the blessing, and the horror of taking care of some of the sickest kids um, in, uh, in America. Kids, uh, we diagnosed the first child with HIV AIDS in Colorado back in 1982, and, um, and ever since then, uh, the level of sickness, the level of, of misery um, that we see in our practice of infectious diseases is, is tremendous. And, and I have really bonded to Tim McGraw's song, Live Like You Were Dying. It's a beautiful country, country uh, ditty about a man who begins to appreciate life, as you said, Catherine, only when when threatened with the loss of life. And the idea of no regrets living is to begin to appreciate before that, is to um, walk around with our eyes and our senses opened to uh, appreciate what we do have before we're threatened with its loss. Because once we're threatened with its loss, it's, you know, we, we have a limited amount of time to be able to appreciate, and then we have regrets. Uh, but as Tim McGraw sings, if you begin to live like you were dying before you're dying, then you have an opportunity to experience wonder and contentment in your life. And um, a lot of that hinges really on our um, sense of something out there that's greater than us. And I, I'm, I'm a person of faith, but I would never tell anyone that they have to have faith or what they should believe in. But I do believe that it's important for everyone to recognize that there is so much in the world that we will never understand, a a level of knowledge that we'll never reach. 
that there has to be something greater than us. I won't tell you what that is. You have to discover that for yourself. But if we begin to realize that there is a greater presence than human beings, something greater than we will ever achieve, I think that allows us to look at all that we don't understand. Let's take COVID for, ex- for an example. <clears throat> I'm a virologist by training. I've spent 40 years studying viruses, studying vaccines, teaching about, about viruses and vaccines. Then COVID strikes, and it originates perhaps in one place in the world, and it literally shuts down the entire world. It's the perfect example of the butterfly effect. You know, the flap of one butterfly wing uh, can, uh, can cause a typhoon in a completely different part of the world. Well, this butterfly flapped and, um, and, and caused a typhoon of misery across the world. But I believe viruses, which I spent my life studying, are miraculous. How can a virus be miraculous? How can something so harmful, so devastating, be a miracle? Well, because one virus particle can infect one human cell and within a matter of a few hours produce a million progeny virus, a million other viruses just like itself, until the cell gives up and dies and explodes and all those little virus particles move along to the neighboring cells. I cannot make a virus. No human scientist has ever created a virus. So I look at a virus and its ability to do what it does to us as a miracle of nature. And I believe that because I cannot understand that, someday I might, someday I might have a greater understanding of viruses, but then I'll have more questions that have been, that have been posed along the way. And I don't think we're ever going to get to a level of total understanding. And that leads me to believe that there's something greater out there than us. And if there's something greater out there than us, I can look at a hummingbird and I can say, wow, I can't make that. I have to appreciate it. And I have to accept the fact that there is a presence greater than I will understand that has created this miracle of a virus, this miracle of a hummingbird, miracle of whales migrate 5,000 miles every year from one part of the world to another part of the world. I can't make a whale. I can't even make an ant. So that's how I believe we can reach a level of wonder and contentment, to appreciate those things around us that we'll never understand and to accept the fact that there must be something out there greater than us. Can we put that in a context? Okay, that's sort of in the not sort of that's in the context of the of of the of uh, the the world, the, the butterfly, the virus. What about our everyday life? What about our just everyday mundane life which, you know, we get up in the morning and take care of the kids, go to work, do, you know, have a barbecue, whatever we do. Uh, how does that fit in? How does that sort of perspective fit into uh, how we live our lives on an everyday basis? Uh, six years ago, uh, six years ago, I had quadruple bypass surgery. Um, I had heart disease, which I've known about for a long time, and it progressed to the point where I needed bypass surgery. When I came out of surgery, all I wanted to do, Catherine, was the routine, mundane, wake up in the morning, take the kids to school, have a barbecue in the evening. That's all I craved. All I craved when that was taken away from me was the mundane, the routine, the everyday experience. 
And, and the goal of no regrets living is to not have to have heart surgery to recognize that. To recognize that when you wake up in the morning after a night's sleep, your body is invigorated, your body has, has been resuscitated, much as it might be on, on an operating room table, and you, you wake up and you begin to experience all those things that I couldn't experience after surgery, that people who are experiencing um, life-threatening illnesses, for example, during COVID couldn't experience. If you listen to the interviews of COVID patients who are coming out of intensive care units or, or who have survived ventilator therapy, what they say is all they want to do is hold hands with their loved ones. All they want to do is be able to hug again. All they want to do is be able to walk from their bedroom to the kitchen and open the refrigerator. That's what they want. So those routine, mundane, everyday experiences, which we all take for granted, once they're threatened, once they're taken away, we no longer take them for granted. And the idea of no regrets living is to be conscious of that um, uh, feeling every single day during everything, while, during everything that we do. And it's not easy because we're bludgeoned. We're bludgeoned with routine. We're bludgeoned with obligations and responsibilities and commitments and calendars and schedules. But what I, what I ask people to do in, in one of the keys to no regrets living is to, is to pause every single day for just a few minutes, every single day. And for some people, that pause is prayer. For some people, that pause is meditation. For some people, that prayer is, is long-distance running. But to pause every single day to appreciate the things that they have today that they may not have had yesterday and that they may not have tomorrow, but to appreciate what they have today. And if you take that brief pause, give me five minutes a day. If you take that brief pause, I think it slows down the, the barrage of responsibilities and obligations and commitments and allows you to look around you and be more appreciative. I like that key. Let's talk about some of the other keys there in the book, because that's one of them, but there are seven keys. So let, let's uh, choose a couple of the others to, to talk about so that we can practice what you, what you write about. Well, um, the one that's, one that's very dear to my heart, I mean, they're all dear to my heart, but one that's very dear to my heart as a physician is the key to heal. And... Um, Healing, of course, is part of what I do. That's part of, it's part of my job. But we don't need to be a physician. You don't need to go to medical school to be able to heal. And there are so many examples around that. Um, I would, let me start out by saying that I think the greatest healing that's needed, the greatest healing that's needed in the world is healing from evil. And, and I'm optimistic that we actually can heal evil in the way that we've healed pandemics, in the way that we've healed uh, COVID, hopefully in the very near future, in the way that we have healed our approach to natural disasters, to man-made accidents. We now, we have healed the world of thousands, tens of thousands of traffic-related deaths, car accidents every year because we invented seatbelts, we invented airbags, we invented safer cars. We healed the world from the tragedy of death due to car accidents. Not completely, but dramatically. We've healed the world from the devastating effects of 
earthquakes, for example, because we build safer buildings. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do that around the world. In, in underdeveloped countries, we still have tragic earthquakes. But an incredibly powerful earthquake struck Alaska a few years ago, and there was almost no, ver- no building damage, and there was no loss of life. The kind of earthquake that, without our healing, in, uh, or perhaps in Haiti, in another part of the world where we haven't yet been able to heal, would have resulted in devastation. So we have the capacity as a species to heal the world. And I, and I think the most important form of healing is healing the world of evil, healing the world of the kinds of tragedies that we saw in the past two weeks in Atlanta and in Boulder, Colorado, 30 miles from my home, where gun violence has, has caused unspeakable tragedy to 18 families uh, who lost their loved ones during those um, shooting rampages. We need to heal the world of that kind of evil. My father uh, was a survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp uh, uh, in World War II. He was a Holocaust survivor. He lost all of his family. I have only a few cousins on my dad's side. I never knew my grandparents on my father's side, my aunts and uncles on my father's side. They were all wiped out in the concentration camps. That is an an unspeakable evil. I grew up in the shadow of that unspeakable evil. And yet, despite that, I believe we can heal the world of that. And the evidence for that comes from, uh, of all places, Whitwell, Tennessee. Whitwell, Tennessee is a rural community. As far as anyone knows, there was never a Jewish family there. Uh, There are no Jewish families there now. But the kids in Whitwell, Tennessee school system uh, were taught about the Holocaust. And they started uh, what they called the Paperclips Project. And they asked people around the world to send them a paperclip until they could collect six million paperclips to get a concept of what the loss of six million Jewish lives was was like, and then they asked for five million more to appreciate the loss of five million other innocent lives in uh, in Hitler's Germany. And what resulted from that was that these kids created a life a lifelong memorial to the Holocaust in Whitwell, Tennessee, where they actually have a cattle car that was sent over from Europe. Uh, and donated to these kids museum to this kids to the kids museum that they established. Thirty million paper clips. Thirty million paper clips were sent into them, including paper clips from Presidents Bush, Presidents Clinton, President Obama. All of those paper clips are now on display where in Whitwell, Tennessee. We can heal the world. We just have to we just have to address the evil in the world as we have addressed the diseases, the pandemics the hurricanes, the earthquakes, and the car accidents. It, it's, uh, Doctor, you know, it always uh, seems like such an arduous process. We go forward so slowly because I'm thinking about the whole, you're describing your father in the Holocaust and Auschwitz. And, um, you know, I've traveled all over the world. And I think one of the most, I don't know, compelling trips I ever took was to see the camps in, in, uh, in uh, Poland and uh, mm-hmm. Warsaw. Uh, but then... Things happen, you know, I was in Croatia and, you know, genocide yep. in Croatia, it keeps, that's very recent and that's not the only very recent. recent, yeah. So yeah. have, yeah, so then I think, have we really made progress or how do we, I mean, yes, that's a great example right. in Tennessee, but how, 
much progress have we made if we're still doing this? Catherine, it, 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 you're so right, and it makes me so sad. One of the things that I wrote in the book is that um, Hitler was not the first uh, great evil or evil on a grand scale. There were many that preceded him. Um, but how do we explain those that followed him? How do we explain the level of evil that we've seen, the genocide that we've seen in other parts of the world, uh, in Rwanda? Uh, how do we explain ISIS? How do we explain Croatia? There is still evil in the world. But, but there are museums around the world that are educating us. Um, the U.S. Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. is a prime example, but there are also museums throughout Europe where the Holocaust occurred that begin to educate begin to educate as the kids were educated in Whitwell, Tennessee. And it is a slow process, and we can't do it all at once. But we are better now than we were, even though there has still been evil. We're better. My, uh, my wife and, and uh, some other members of our family were addicted to the Game of Thrones uh, TV show. I couldn't watch it. It was just too horrible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... When you look at history, people have said that the, that the evil that was portrayed in the Game of Thrones, that, that uh, incredible level, tragic level of evil, was not that far off from what medieval world history actually showed. That that was a pretty good depiction of the evil of medieval times. Well, if we look at the trajectory of, of humankind... I think everyone can appreciate that we're better off today in the world than we were during the Game of Thrones medieval history period. It is a slow process, and the process in the, in the 60 years since the Holocaust, um, it's hard to see in 60 years that there has been enough progress. Of course there has not been enough progress. But when we look at the trajectory of humankind over eons, it's apparent that we're moving in the right direction. Our trajectory is positive. And I think 60 years is too short a time to reflect yet on whether we have been able to heal the world from the evil of the Holocaust. There is still evil. Um, There's still tremendous evil in the world. And it occurred in Atlanta this, a couple of weeks ago. It occurred in Boulder last week. There is evil in the world. But the overall trajectory of humankind, I think, is on, is on an upward arc, and I am optimistic that our kids' generation, our grandkids' generation, will be better than, than our generation. So speaking of the kids, our kids' generation and our grandchildren, what about your children? What do you tell them? Well, um, they, they never had a chance. My, my father died before my kids were born. Um, he died of pancreatic cancer uh, after surviving the Holocaust. It was, it was one of those, uh, really, could that possibly have happened to him? Uh, so my kids never knew him, but they know all about him. They know all about the kind of evil that, that um, pervades the world. And I, am, um, I feel really grateful that they have lived their lives in a way that is respectful not just of the grandfather they never knew, but respectful of the need to heal the world. And, um, I, you know, I think that, that their appreciation of, of the lives that they have in the United States of America is all the greater for knowing vividly from me, knowing vividly the history of their grandfather. 
and um, I hope that a little part of my, gra- of my father is in them and that they will contribute to what I hope is that upward arc. We only have a couple minutes left, so and I, I want to repeat the name of the book because people should go out and buy the book, No Regrets Living, Seven Keys to a Life of Wonder and Contentment. And Dr. Rothbard, what else should we know about you? Where can we get more information about the work that you are doing and the books that you are writing and the articles and all of those good kinds of things? Well, thanks, Catherine. That's, it's nice of you to ask. And, um, my website is my name, harleyrotebart.com, and um, the books are all on Amazon um, and in, as they say, wherever fine books are sold in bookstores around the country. Um, and the, I have a blog at my website that I uh, try to contribute to uh, regularly to um, Really, really highlight some of the ideas of no regrets living and some of the what I hope are guideposts uh, for people. Um, I I am grateful for where I am in my life, and that's not because it has been an easy life. It's it's because I feel I've had a blessed life, and um, and I hope that I can help people to get to that point in their own lives as well. Well, it all comes through in the interview. You're, um, it, it just in in the way you present yourself and how you present yourself and what you talk about and your, I guess, enthusiasm. Uh, so I really thank you today. You are, uh, thank you very much for being on the show today. Um, and uh, let's keep going forward in, as you just, in an upward trajectory, as you, I think you said, which is uh, right, where we need, right. yeah, <laughs> where we need yeah, to go. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. Yeah. That's kind thank of you, you to say, and, and I, uh, I, I wish you health and, and success and all of your listeners health and success as we go forward. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 